Hey, this is Gina Grad. Hi, this is Teresa Strasser. Hi, everyone. This is Mike Errico. Hey there. This is Casey Cavalier. I'm Rocky Rose. And you are listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Lucky you. Welcome to The Jay Franzi Show. A behind-the-curtain look at the entertainment industry with insights you can't pay for and stories you've never heard. Now, here's your host, Jay Franzi. Well, hello and welcome to the show. I am Jay Franzi, and if you are new here, this is where we take a deep dive into the entertainment industry to provide you with valuable insights and entertaining stories. This week, we get to talk with a drummer and a guitar tech. We get to talk with Chris Franz. We'll talk to him about how we get a start in the industry, life on the road, and we'll take a deep dive into his time with the Steve Miller Band. Now, I've known Chris for some time now, and I can't wait to catch up with him tonight. So if you'd like to join in, comment, or fire off any questions, please head over to jfranzi.com. Now let's get started. So, sir, it's good to have you here. I am very excited for tonight. I'd like to just jump right in and find out how you got your start. Well, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Started playing in fourth grade. I had a band in fourth grade. Fifth grade, we were out jamming around at the high school dances and so that's an early start. Yeah. So that was like fifth grade. And then I decided I, I want to play drums. So I played drums all through high school. In high school, I started playing around Baltimore with local local bands. I ended up playing with some guys that were in their mid-20s and 30s from the big rock bands around town that uh, started playing disco music in 19... Oh, I'm going to date myself here, but this was like the late 70s. So I started up playing, let me back up, I called the agency and I said, hey, I want to play drums with some bands. And the guy goes, hold on a minute, he put this guy on the phone, he said, meet us at this rehearsal place. And so I get over there and they look at me and go, man, you're just a kid. So I think I was 11th grade right there. But I was playing with uh, the keyboard player from a band called Justice, the bass player from a band called Orange Wedge. The guitar player was with a band called Joshua and the lead singer was with a band called Coyote. And this was all the big rock bands around Baltimore area. So that's where I got my start in music. At that point, I really wasn't a sound guy or anything. So I was just a drummer and I thought that was the coolest thing. So I just played drums. That's awesome. I love it. You say you were just a drummer. Being just a drummer <laughs> is an entire career for most people, but you have yeah. a multifaceted career. I'm impressed by it. How long were you playing in these? I mean, I know you're still playing, but how long were you playing in these bands before you moved to Nashville? Let's see. So uh, a couple years of that around Baltimore. It's like I'm making money in 12th grade. I've got my own cars and I've got an apartment. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do this. This is all I want to do. So first I ended up going to Ocean City, Maryland, and I hooked up with a bunch of people there. We're moving to Fort Lauderdale. So I load up everything in my little green hornet station wagon. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those. Yeah, because I, I had to have a station wagon or something that could carry drums. So that's what I had. 
So I load up and I go down to Fort Lauderdale real quick. I find out you got to have a lot of money to hang out in Fort Lauderdale a little bit, to, yeah. to get in the music business. And here I am, like nineteen years old. So I decide I'm gonna I'm gonna go back home. So I leave Fort Lauderdale, but on the way up, I stop in Orlando and I hook up with this band that they're a big show band. They're like a nine piece horn band. So I go up there and, you know, they're doing Chicago and they're doing uh, funk music and a bunch of horn bands, Blood, Sweat and Tears. So I, I audition for this band and I end up, okay, well, they have a manager and they're going to, okay, you got a place to stay here and we're going to put this band on the road. So that led to a whole nother chapter of more bands because the manager, he had, uh, he had a bunch of bands he was putting together with an agency. Babe Balagambo was the agency down there. And they had a lot of clubs, Fox's Dance. This was all over Florida. And uh, really cool clubs, show bands, doing, you know, like the floor show, which was, you don't see that much anymore unless you go out to Vegas or something. It's funny to me because you just uh, mentioned like, oh, I went here and I did this and then I went here and I did that. I mean, these are moves that most people wish they could be doing, and you're just—they're uh, just happening to you. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> go ahead and tell me what did come next. Well, it was funny. Saying was home is where the luggage is because I really didn't have a car or a home anymore because I was on the road, and you know we were, we were traveling with the band, and we play clubs, and you'd stay in a hotel. And and back in those days, there was like the Holiday Inns, the Sheridans, the Every exit just about had a club in one of the hotels. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. that kind of thing. Yep. But the Holiday Inns had a band. There was bands everywhere. And then you can kind of make a comfortable living if you were with the right people back then. So that's what I was doing. I ended up with a band called um, New York, New York, which was a really cool band. And I got to give props to the to Iggy Constantino because he was the guy that, that really had the business end of this band down. And he booked that band all year. I mean, it was booked forever. Did he just book it or did he play in it as well? So he played in the band. He was the guitar player. He owned the PA, the truck, a decent little light show. Usually the job of the bass player, but we'll, we'll let him do it. <laughs> so I ended up playing drums in that band. This is where I also uh, met my wife. So it was about four years, I think, three or four years with that band. We were in Myrtle Beach all the time. We were playing Holiday in downtown for three weeks. We were playing North for a couple of weeks. We were playing Winston-Salem or somewhere else for a couple of weeks. Then we'd come back to Myrtle Beach. So it was basically home. When it was time to join another band, I drove from Myrtle Beach to Fort Myers Beach to join a band of people that I'd never met before. <laughs> Okay. But in that band, I met a guitar player and a bass player that, that ended up becoming becoming really great friends of mine. We started a, a band out of that. That band kind of fizzled after we started it and was like, we could tell that the three of us really needed to go do something else away from this other half of the band. Because we were clicking and that really wasn't. So we, we went and we started this band called Why on Earth. This is kind of where I started getting into to knowing about sounds. This band actually was a really great band. We were, you know, the guitar player who's passed away, 
several years ago. His name was Scott Cogan, was an amazing guitar player. And the other players in the band were very talented as well. But Scott, he was really one of those guys that I think that would have been, that would have been his uh, heyday, his thing. So we rented this giant PA system from a Baltimore company, and it wouldn't work right. So me and Scott would stay in the club after the show, the first couple week or so we had the PA. And that's where we kind of figured out how to learn how to do PA. <laughs> so. I became a sound man kind of quick. You have any challenges with that? Oh, lots of challenges. We hired a couple sound guys and you know, they're, they could tell you frequencies and compression ratios and blah, 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 blah. But man, they couldn't make it sound good. Just didn't thump. It wasn't working. So long story short, we, we kind of finally got a guy and then we moved on and the band got, got good. We were on the same circuit with like uh, Jackal and yep. Firehouse but those guys all got signed and, and we didn't. Well, it happens. At the end of the week, we'd have some money and we'd give it all just to the sound guy, the light guy. We had a hundred lights, you know, we had a truck, <laughs> lights. So all the money was going to production. And here's your $30. <laughs> here's your $30. It's got, you got to, you know, you owe this much money for a bar tab. <laughs> yeah, that happens too. Yeah. So, so then we moved on from that. I, I, I guess I ended up here in Nashville. This is kind of where we're getting to the the nitty gritty. To the nitty gritty. So you end up in Nashville. Do you start off playing live, or do you start off trying to get studio work? Well, I I moved here with uh, with Scott, that guitar player from from Myrtle Beach. He moved here with me with a lead singer, and we were doing like Cinderella and. White Snake and stuff like that. And all we needed was a bass player. Here we're coming around to the bass player again. <laughs> but we couldn't find a bass player that didn't want us to pay him to practice. Nashville. Yeah, sounds like Nashville. <laughs> the singer goes, I'm going to go on home. You guys call me when you get together. I'm going to have to go do something else. We're going to have to start working. So uh, he kind of split and went back to Myrtle Beach and I hooked up with a road band again out of Nashville, ended up doing cruise ships. Nassau, here we come back and forth for the next 13 weeks or something, right? So what was it like playing on a cruise ship before you continue? Well, uh, it was an interesting experience. We were back and forth to Nassau twice a week from uh, Cocoa Beach. Yeah. It was on Disney Cruise Lines. So you play for a couple hours a night or did you have multiple shows? When they put the passengers on the ship the first day, you have to go do lifeboat drill. So you had to dress up and tell people where to go. So you had to basically, you're part of the crew. That's awesome. So I'm meeting everybody. Oh, yeah, man, you got to come on down and see the band tonight. We'll be rocking. You know, come on down. You know, so we had people coming in and it was great. <laughs> it was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. It was fun. You know, if anybody's looking to, to learn how to polish their craft, that's a good place to do it. <laughs> Very cool. So what happens after that when you get back to Nashville? Uh, so when I get back to Nashville here, I, I hooked up with this guy, and he had a bunch of clubs that he was doing sound for. And he said, hey, I need a sound guy. So he started hiring me to do sound. And, of course, you know, it's, it's uh, analog systems back then. And I kind of knew something about it, and I could mix. So I started doing sound with him. Eventually, I started doing sound around all the other clubs, and one of the clubs had – had national acts coming through. So I'd end up on monitors for that. Sometimes I'd be out front of house for that. 
And from that, uh, I met a guy that said, hey, I need a sound guy for a little road gig. So I started getting some road work as a sound engineer. And I go, wow, this is kind of cool. So I got some work doing some sound and other sound companies started to hire me to do sound. And this is how I got into being a sound engineer. That's what I love about Nashville is that you could be a drummer, but if you're out networking, <laughs> you're meeting people yeah. and you always get offered other gigs. I mean, it's all related. It's all within the music industry, but you're always offered something else outside of your realm of expertise and they still give it to you. It's like, Hey, you're a nice guy. Why don't you come out here and do this with us? Yeah. So when you do that, and you, you get taken out on the road as a sound engineer. It's got to be a world of difference from sitting behind a drum kit. How'd that go for you? Oh, it was pretty good, but they never said, hey, can you drive the bus? <laughs> <laughs> I have driven the, uh, the band trucks before and stuff like that. I know, again, you're a skilled drummer and you end up becoming a guitar tech. So I want to talk about that here in a few minutes. But before we leave this subject, can you tell me what it was like the first time you sat in the studio as a drummer? Well, let's see. I hooked up with this guy that had a band. We were playing clubs and he was going in the studio. So I thought this was really cool. And not everything went good. We went in there, we played the songs and we had a blast and... What I know now about being in the studio and then is a lot, lot different. I came off the road from doing the band thing and I owned a box truck and I got approached by a guy that had a cartridge company. He said, Hey, you want to be part of my cartridge company? And I'm like, well, can I make money at that? And was like, yeah, I started doing cartridge and I started seeing like Nashville session drummers, Eddie Bears, and oh, yeah. Paul Lime, and Amazing Greg guys. Morrow. I mean, I can go through the list of all of them. I don't want to be a name dropper. No, but those three are amazing. Yeah. J.T. Cornfloss, the guitar player, a few years ago passed away. He was an amazing guitar player. If you want to look him up, J.T. Cornfloss, he's just on everything. And he was just an amazing player. So I ended up doing his cartage and a couple of other guys. So every time I drop his stuff off, I'd hang out there and I'd watch these other guys. And I'd also be watching the engineers because. Have to be well-rounded to make a living in this business. Yeah. These guys will listen to a song one time and, you, and then go in there and play it. And you think that they've worked on it for a month. <laughs> Studio guys are really amazing. They're fast. They're accurate. They're just gifted. All of them. They're gifted. <laughs> get props. So yeah. how does that transition to now becoming a guitar tech? Okay. All right. So uh, let's see. So I, I'm still, I'm doing sounds and I'm doing monitors. Um, you know, I went out with a couple of national acts monitors and a couple national acts as, or, you know, big country act guys as front of house. And before you go, which, which acts were those? Well, I did monitors for Thompson Square when they had that Are You Gonna Kiss Me or Not debut. Jesse Cook is a flamenco guitarist. I think he was probably one of my first real taste of good road kind of work. That's like, oh, I can do, make this kind of money doing that. You know, that's pretty cool. It went from I played drums with Brenda Lee at the Wisconsin State Fair, took a red eye to go be the sound guy for Jesse Cook at the <laughs> Brit Fest in Oregon. Got there at like one in the afternoon. That is insane. And uh, saw a console that I'd never seen before. It was a Soundcraft VI6, which was brand new at the time. So I figured that out real quick and did a great show. 
Actually, they, they, uh, front of house online actually has an article on that because they contacted me to do an interview. And I said, you, you sure you got the right guy? Because there's <laughs> guys that are really, no, you mixed that show. That was a premiere show. He says, so we really want to interview you. When you talk about, I can't let it pass by. When you talk about showing up for a show, especially when you're showing up late in the day. And yes, one o'clock in the afternoon is late in the day when you're putting together a show. So when you're showing up for this show and you get in front of a console that you've never seen before, that would be my biggest fear being a studio guy to go into a situation where I see a console that I'm not familiar with. How do you handle something like that? Well, it was Reyes Sound and the guy was right there. He was showing me everything. So I was like, oh, it was so easy. It was like I touched the screen and the EQ would pop up. I go, oh, it's kick drum. So I make what I think looks like a cool kick drum EQ. And I go to the next one for the snare and I go hi-hat and I go, you know, Tom's. Oh, wait, let me put some little gates and, you know, go back here, do a little. So I guessed everything pretty much. And he, you know, we made adjustments. And so we went on and it was pretty amazing. So it was a digital console, obviously. Digital console, great boards. I mean, and then everything just came right up. We, you know, of course, we had an hour sound check or something like that. So That's not bad. So you get an hour to, to experiment. Hour to learn the board. <laughs> so I said to the guy, where's the reverb? Where's the effects? Okay, I, I want some reverb here. I said, okay, so we're, this is where I'm going to have it. This is where I want it. This was quite a while back. I don't know if I do anything different than I did that night. I have, a, I have a really cool board mix I'll share with you sometime. Nice. They said it was one of the premier shows of the concert season. So, <laughs> when you're there, you had uh, you, you mentioned having somebody from the company there to assist you with the technology. Yeah. Were they there for the entire evening? Yes, yeah, so he was right there, making sure I didn't go over a certain amount of dB level right. out there at front of house. So, but it was really cool. And then we've played there since, and I've seen them, and we talked about it, laughed about it. <laughs> That is pretty cool. I wouldn't expect the company to provide you with somebody there, but it does make sense that, you know, working on a console you've never seen before, you're going to have questions. Yeah. Well, when you um, advance a show or whatever, you know, they, they're out there, they had the guy that brings into PA everywhere you go now. That's what the production guy does is advances the show. At the time, PM 5D, I think was the mixing console. Everybody was using or an M7, you know, so we, those things would show up and it was like, okay, those, I'm kind of familiar with all that. And I could learn it pretty quick and figure it out. Let's see, after that, I had a guy that was putting me on gigs with like Mark Wills. I worked with him several oh, times. Yeah. Mark is a amazing artist, a great singer, great guitar player, he plays drums great. I think he does everything great. So he's it's easy, the band, good in, good out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if it's good coming in, it's really good to make it sound great. Well, that's the the key right there is capture good signal and good good performances yeah. and you get a good output. But if you're capturing crap, you're going to end up with crap. That's right. Yeah. Let's see. I was doing some work with George Thurgood's guy. I really have them to thank uh, for, for everything because uh, there's a guy there. His name's Jeff Pitt. He's one of the he's really great production guys in Nashville. And he helped me uh, get into doing other things. So I started like going out to his warehouse and I'd be doing warehouse tour prep work. So we started doing tour prepping and we, you know, making looms and doing stuff and, you know, learning how to, to really just be accurate of all of your small little things. The little things in this business are what take a show down. 
I know that to be a hundred percent true. So yeah. what are some scary moments you've experienced while you're out there? Fortunate for us. I mean, we really, I got in, when I got in with the Steve Miller band, those guys, they really think about, okay, what could go wrong and let's make sure that doesn't happen. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's take a, a deeper look into your time with the Steve Miller band. You go out on the road, you're a guitar tech. Mm-hmm. Can you start by just telling us what your day is like? Okay. Well, let's see. Normally we, uh, We'll show up at the venue at about 8.30. 8.30 a.m.? Yeah, 8.30 a.m. Okay. Uh, if it's a big show, there'll be somebody out there earlier that would have already talked the stage and done some of the rigor points and got the PA ready to fly. And sound. And the audio company may have gotten there the day before, the night before. We did Journey. Let's see, it was Tower Power open. Steve Miller was in the middle, and then Journey. That was the biggest show that um that i was involved in the well, biggest tour nice and i don't know how many trucks there was it was uh <laughs> well journey alone had what seven i don't know it was a lot <laughs> so you'd be you know so we'd we'd get in there about 11 o'clock you know that day somebody's already working five o'clock in the morning and you know by the time we got there it's um journey's all ready to do their line check and then we bring our stuff in we were pretty quick to get in and out. That's how we designed our our racks and everything. So we could really just multi-cable, boom, 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 roll them in, roll them out. And then that's the key to that. And we could get out of there in 15 minutes after the show. Roll it back just a little bit and go, go through your day. Okay. I'm really interested in what the day is like for you on the road. Okay, so what I do is uh, I'll stand there and – when I first got with them, I was in the truck. So I was basically unstrapping stuff and rolling it off the truck. And then the guys, the hands, the local hands would unstack it. And uh, they would direct it to the right location on the stage. Every case should be marked, but sometimes they're not. But mostly they're marked. So they roll their cases to wherever they need to go. And then each person has a job in that location. Monitors, you know, so monitor worlds nowadays. I set up on the stage left near monitor world, so I'll I'll be over there and I'll get my cases. And the first thing I do is start setting up my guitar world, and somebody else is doing their stuff. So it's not like we all have everything to do. Everybody's got their location, their uh, assignments, and I'll start by getting my guitars out. First, I'll set up my world, get everything ready. Then I'll start looking at my guitars. I usually start with the the Stratocasters because I like those. (laughs) So I'll look at those and I'll change the strings. Do you change them every night? Yeah, we change the strings every day. I got like eight guitars I change strings on. Really? How long does it take you to change the strings on a guitar? Because it takes me forever. I don't know. Five minutes. I got a drill. (laughs) You know. I'll undo them all, cut them off, boom, 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 thread them through and go through. But, you know, after you get them on there again, you know, you get you tune them up and you play them a little bit and check and see how the necks, you know, the neck changes with temperature and humidity. How did they travel in the truck? Was it rough? You know, there's all kinds of things. All the electronics working, you know, I got to play them and check it out. And So while you're, you're talking about that, a lot of people say don't take all the strings off at the same time. I hear him say that, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, in all the years I've been doing this, I changed the twelve string once, uh, one string at a time. That would be a beast. 
Yeah, Les Paul. Uh, we have Les. We have Les Paul. That um, you know, I I, I just change them. It's a, it's okay because I like to clean the neck off after I get the strings off. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I only ask you because I have a few guitars laying around the house and yeah. <laughs> strings hardly ever get changed. However, when they do, mm-hmm. I try to do things one string at a time only because that's what I was told. I guess if I was doing a uh, attention guitar, say something like a, a Charvel Jackson or a Ibanez, something with a Kaler system, I would definitely do one at a time. It's just a very um, delicate balance of tension, string versus springs. What are the main responsibilities you have as a guitar tech? I know you're setting up the guitar world. Yeah. When you say setting up your world, what does that actually mean? Well, I got two guitar vaults. I get them set up. I put up my my tuners. I get my tuners all working. I've got a, a box you know, for making my uh, adjustments. And I have to do pedal boards, run some cabling out there, go check the amplifier. So you have two Dr. Z Stingrays. That's my responsibility. The loom's going back and forth, and I have a bass pedal board over by the drums that I have to take care of. A couple bass guitars. How long does it take you to get it all set up before a show? I think we showed up one time and I think we had to get ready really quick. And I think we were ready in two hours. Okay. It's not bad. Yeah. I've seen you in action. I've seen you in action, both playing drums as well as, as a guitar tech. And you, you play that world like it's an instrument. So, I mean, you set up the world, you get your, like you said, the vaults that you have surrounding you and the area you get to work in is not that large. Sometimes. Yeah. So you, get all that stuff set up and you're constantly working with the guy on stage to transition from one guitar to another, which seems like every song. Yeah. You, you were there that night. <laughs> Is that normal? Well, Steve doesn't look at the list and go, let's see, Jacob has the strat on. Let's let him play that for four songs. And then, then let's put two songs. He could play the acoustic on. So that's not the way it works. It's just like, okay, it's this way. I have a Strat for this song. I have a Strat that's tuned for this song. I have a, a guitar that's tuned for Jungle Love's different. I have a guitar that's tuned for the blues, some of the blues songs. They stay in that tuning. It's not like I have to get a guitar back and change the tuning. So you're switching guitars based on tuning, not based on preference. Tuning and uh, like the, the Les Paul versus the Stratocaster. I'll use the, the Les Paul needs to be played on different stuff. But, yeah, a lot of it's tuning, a lot of it's um, character. You know, Les Paul is a different character than a Stratocaster. I'm surprised Steve plays anything other than a Les Paul. Les Paul was his godfather, as everybody everybody knows. So, And uh, Les Paul never gave him a Les Paul, so Steve had to get his own. Get his own. Well, I don't think everybody does know that. It's still uh, pretty good information. You can't grow up with a better godfather than that when you're talking about this industry. Yeah. So when you first started doing, when you first go out on the road with the Steve Miller band, were you nervous at all? Well, I have to look back at that. Uh, I started the same day the monitor guy did. <laughs> He's one of my better friends right now. And I mean, we looked at each other and we're like, oh, man, I don't know. Man. I don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> what's going to happen here? So I think everything worked out okay. And uh, I tried hard. And I keep trying as hard as I can to do the best I can. That was 2012 was when I started that gig. 
So that's been a good run, and I hope I keep going with it. But, yeah, I think I was nervous, but I didn't show it. We played a private event. was our first job. I've learned a lot since then, and I've, I say every day is a school day because I want to get better at everything. Sure. No, that would make perfect sense. I mean, how long did it take before you started feeling comfortable enough not to be nervous? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think I still get a little nervous every time until I hear the first note go down. Okay. You know? Now, when you play some of these bigger shows, like when you're out on the road with Journey and stuff, is that a more heightened bit of nervousness to you? At first, I think it, it was um, it was a little little bit of a um, a little shocking. You know, it's like wow, this is this is uh, it's going to be different. You know, we're not headlining; we're we're in the middle here. But the cool thing about that was David Garibaldi was playing drums for the last half hour before I was playing. <laughs> so I got to watch him like 39 times play soul vaccination. <laughs> what is it? I never, you know, so yeah, that's kind of, it cool. is, it's very cool. I mean, all these things are very cool, right? I mean, yeah. it's just an experience all within itself. I'm trying to picture because I've gone on the road a few times as an engineer, not for long periods, just little stints here and there. But I've never had that full tour experience. When you're out on the road and you're you're touring, how close do you get with the band? Oh, you, oh well, I know the guys pretty good. They're the first couple years. I think I think I made a point not to really get involved in knowing anybody and just be doing my job and. I think it was like five or six years. Steve didn't know my name, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day I'm out on stage rolling up cables, getting ready for the, op- the opening act was going to come up and set up. So I roll up my cables and take my board off the stage. I'm rolling my stuff up and Steve goes, Hey Chris, what time's the show tonight? And I stopped in my tracks. You know my name. Knows my name. <laughs> That's funny. But now that he does know your name, yeah. now it's a heightened sense of awareness, right? Well, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now I kind of like, well, I'm, we're kind of cordial to say, hey, you know, how's it going? What's up? You know, stuff like that. Sure. Same with all the guys in the band. We're, we're kind of all been there long enough. And well, you got some amazing players in that band, too. And what's it, Joseph Wooten on keyboards? Joseph Wooten Man, on he's keyboards. He's a monster, isn't he? Yeah. Great guy, great singer, great musician. I've seen him play with his brothers over at Third and Lindsley quite a bit. Oh, yeah. So to get to see him play as part of the Steve Miller band, that was pretty a pretty cool experience. Yeah. If, if anybody listening to this podcast gets a chance to go see the Wooten Brothers, go see the Wooten Brothers. Or just go see one of them. Yeah, go see a brother. Are they still playing on Wednesday nights at 3rd and Lindsley? I don't know if they are. I don't think they are. But I think that um, Victor's out doing stuff. Well, Victor's usually out with Bella Flag. They're doing the actually doing the Wooten Brothers touring. Oh, now. really? So they're they're out doing it all by themselves, and they're amazing because they just do stuff because they grew up, you know, five, four years old, three years old, however they started playing. So there's and magic. Reggie, being the older brother, taught the rest how to play, and he's the teacher. Yeah, I actually <laughs> took lessons from for a couple of years. It was it was pretty fun. Wow! Oh, wow! Yeah, I, I, I still can't play, so I don't know if he's not a very good teacher or if I'm not a very good student. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to guess I'm not practice. a good student because the rest of his you know students are off doing amazing things. 
Yeah. So. I think it's practice, Jay. I is think you just have is? to practice. Yeah. You, if you got a guitar there, man, and you got it in your hands, uh, five hours a day, an hour a day, every day, I mean, just play. That's another thing I, I didn't really, I didn't know a lot about the guitar when I took the gig being the guitar tech. I knew how to tune a guitar and how to set stuff up and stuff like that. But I don't know how to play the guitar. But after playing it every day for 12 years, I'm starting to figure some things out. Starting to learn some stuff. But again, like I said at the beginning, I'm still not a guitar player. And I wouldn't say, hey, man, let me <laughs> see it in. I saw a picture of you playing drums with Steve. I mean, I mean, how often does that happen? Well, there's a story to that. And it's actually, this is an anniversary of that. That happened uh, 2019. Yeah, that's why I brought we it up. On tour. <clears throat> yeah. We are on tour with Marty Stewart. <laughs> I'm up at Soundcheck. We were up on the stage. Well, during Soundcheck, I put all Jacob's guitar in one of those um, boats that hold about eight guitars and roll it up on stage so he can soundcheck each guitar and I can hand him guitars when Steve says, let's play this song while we're in rehearsal mode during the day. And uh, I had all my guitars up on stage and um, the band bus pulls up and uh, an ambulance pulls up next to the band bus. So we're like, well, what's going on over here? So um, tour manager comes over and says, hey, um, can you play sound check? They're going to check Gordy out. It's like Gordy had vertigo, which was the drummer. So they're checking him out. So I played sound check, and then they come over and says, hey, can you play the show? I'm like, well, sure. Of course I can. I said, yes. So I said, I wasn't going to say no. So, yeah. So I played the show. Um, now that's going to be a moment you get a little nervous. No, you know what? I wasn't nervous. Really? I was on top of the world. That was like, to me, I was um, I was nervous that Gordy was sick. Well, yeah, I can understand. Because I love Gordy. Gordy is an amazing person and a great drummer and educator. Well, I can understand you being nervous over that. I think anybody would. Yeah. But for you, it's not like you're practicing those songs every day. I mean, I guess you get to watch them every day, but. Yeah. I, yeah, it was one of those things where it was, to me, it was pretty natural well that is your foundation too you know i'm I'm kind of like i i fake it i just you know if i don't know it i'll fake it i've seen the show like you said it's i've seen it since uh let's see seven years touring and you know come on steve miller band that who who doesn't hear every song on the radio right, and who hasn't played them all in cover bands you know he's got some songs that are that are really different which are cool i'll tell you too i mean I was at the show, thanks to you. Thank you very much. And um, oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I listened to the the songs that night, and I think there was only two, maybe three songs that I didn't know. I was amazed that yeah. I knew every single song he was playing. I mean, yeah. I guess that's what a career that spans that long is really like. You know, when I first started, that was like that with me. I was like, oh, wow, that's one of his songs? Oh, wow. <laughs> and then like a, you know, a couple months later, he'd pull out another song, and I'd go, oh, man, I remember that song from, yep. you know, high school. I was like, wow, that's one of his too. The hits just keep coming. And, you know, he's uh, an amazing artist. He still sounds sounds like he's uh, having a blast up there rocking out. He hit every note. He played every note. I mean, it was yeah. it was very impressive. And, and we don't tune down. We're 440. That's pretty impressive, too. I mean, especially as people get up there in age. You've been on the road with them for quite a while. Has technology changed at all? 
I mean, I know technology has changed. How has technology affected you during this change? Well, oddly enough, I'm thinking about this right now. I don't think we have any gear on our stage that's um, real. I mean, we don't have any campers. We don't have any fractal. We don't have any mic modeling. We don't have any amp modeling. You know, we're straight on analog pedals, analog gear. No wireless on the guitars. We have in-ear monitors. That's kind of new technology. And we have a digital monitor console. But out front we have, you probably went out front, you saw a great big Midas desk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have the big, big Midas, Midas purple dinosaur desk. I spent my time down at stage left, sir. <laughs> well, hey, we do this thing here we call Unsung Heroes where we give you a chance to recognize somebody who's maybe working behind the scenes that doesn't typically get some light shine on them. Do you have anybody you'd like to shine a little light on? Well, every production and tour manager, first of all, everybody that takes care of their crew and everybody, you know, they, they hardly get, you know, get thanks and stuff like that. But I always have a ride when you need it. You know, there's always you show up and you take for granted that there's catering and somebody's had to work all that out. So the guys that take care of us, that's important. Another person I would say is definitely the bus drivers. They have your lives in their hands. Yeah, and those are the ones driving through the night, too. Yeah, thank you guys for your dedication to your craft, to your profession, and for taking it seriously. And the truck drivers for getting the gear there, because without that, we're no show. Now, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Chris could not be a nicer guy. So please join me in giving him a big thanks for taking the time to share his stories with us. And thank you for taking the time to hang with me here. I really do appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can do that and find the links to everything mentioned over at jfranzi.com slash episode 22. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Make sure you visit us at jfranzi.com. Follow, connect, and say hello. This episode has been brought to you by VR Knives, your source for 100% custom knives made by a true rock star. So if you're in the market for a new piece of art, reach out to VR Knives. 407-421-5528. 407-421-5528.